Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Catholic Halos podcast. I'm Veronica Ambuel, Director of Communications for the Diocese of Colorado Springs, and I'm joined today by Deacon Patrick Jones, who is an award-winning author of Catholic fiction and the founder of Catholic Halos, and Deacon Doug Flynn, who is the Chancellor and General Counsel for the Diocese. Uh, Before we dive into our topic today, Deacon Patrick, can you lead us in an opening prayer? In nomine Patris, et Filii, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pra nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostrae. Amen. So uh, for today's podcast, we thought we would uh, discuss um, a recent uh, statement, I guess you could say, that came from the Vatican in which uh, Pope Francis asked uh, all Catholics around the world uh, between now and 2025, which is uh, designated as a holy year, that uh, Catholics read the documents of the Second Vatican Council. So um, there are there were four constitutions of Vatican II. Um, the first one is the Constitution on the Sacred Liturgy, which we'll be discussing today. Uh, the second was the uh, Dogmatic Constitution on the Church. The third is the Dogmatic Constitution on Divine Revelation. And the fourth is the pastoral constitution on the church in the modern world. So um, we know that there's been a, a lot of discussion about liturgy and liturgical forms, liturgical reforms recently. So we thought it'd be a good idea to start with the constitution on the sacred liturgy, which in Latin is uh, sacrosanctum concilium. Um, and I, I, I mean, I th- my general understanding is that, you know, this constitution, obviously it was written in the mid-1960s. I mean, it was actually implemented um, starting in the late, generally speaking, late 60s, early 70s. Um, and there's a, you know, I, I think it's safe to say it's been pretty controversial about whether the the changes that have occurred in the liturgy are in line with what was actually asked for by the council fathers. I think that's fair to say, if I can jump in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and I remember, um, and and you know, as a child grow, growing up in the 1970s, I've mentioned that before. Um, there were. We, we experienced a pretty dramatic shift. Um, and I, I, uh, I remember my, at the time, what, what sticks out in my mind mostly is that I remember my parents ve- being very upset every time we would go to Sunday mass, but I didn't know why. Um, you know, I'd hear rumblings about different things, but they obviously grew up with uh, one form of the liturgy, you know, ha- having grown up in the 
the 40s, more or less, uh, I didn't know what had come before. So all I knew what was, you know, is what was happening at that time. And, and, um, but, um, I think it's safe to say there was a lot of experimentation and that was what caused people. Um, was the sixties. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> but Deacon Patrick, what, what, um, being that you're a convert to the faith, what, how, what is your perspective on this whole question? <laughs> well, like you, my only experience of the mass is with what is now referred to as the Novus Ordo, the, the new liturgy, the new mass. Um, and that, that is until fairly recently. Um, and then in my formation, we read the documents of Vatican II, um, and I, I suspect that we were assigned, uh, sacrosanctum concilium, but I don't recall going through it and certainly not in the detail. We're going to go through it just in this 30 minutes. Um, and basically we were told the Vatican II established a spirit of Vatican II, and that's what all these changes are implementing. Um, and so when Pope Francis issued the invitation to go back and read the documents, I thought that's a good shepherding invitation. Let me go and do that and <laughs> see what's going on because I've experienced, uh, questions around both the Liturgy of the Hours and uh, the Novus Ordo, just in terms of there's so much that changed. My questions are, did we throw the baby out with the bathwater? And so it just in my own journey, uh, since this is a halo, you know, we we're yes, we're talking about the the theology of this uh, and, and the liturgy of this. Uh, but what's our own journey um, sh- sh- revealing to our listeners? Yeah, how do we share this with others and um, have questions about what's happening in the church so that we can run towards Christ together? And Pope Francis says, focus on the early numbers, because every paragraph is numbered in uh, documents like this. Focus on the early numbers to understand the spirit, uh, the, um, the, uh, milieu, I can't think of the, the French word, <laughs> uh, but the, um, basically the spirit of Vatican II, that's where you'll find it. And, um, bottom line, uh, spoiler alert, I'm reading a different document than he is to find that. I'm, I don't find it. Uh, so I'm left with a lot of questions, but I wanted to, I approached it from a perspective of, all right, if, because I do, uh, I, um, spiritual orienteering, uh, which is what we, we do some of in this, uh, Halos podcast, Ignatian discernment is critical for okay, how do we decide what is God's call and what isn't? And that certainly applies in personal levels, but it also applies at societal and global levels and in big church change like this. And 
so Ignatian discernment gives us a couple of um, powerful uh, tools for discernment. And one of those, which I find very helpful uh, in regards to reconciliation, uh, which gives consolation. It gives us the peace that only comes from Christ. Um, and that's what consolation is. But the voice of the enemy likes to slip in right after consolation so that we in our fallen state conflate the voice of the enemy with the voice of Christ. And then we're implementing a twisted version of what we thought we were called to do. And we have to guard against that. And that's true for individuals. That's true for families. That's true for a parish. It's true for the church global. Um, and so in the early paragraphs, it says, um, and, uh, <clears throat> I need to get a, a sip of water here, but, um, could someone read the first, um, what is it? The f number one paragraph. From the introduction? Yeah. Sure. This sacred council has several aims in view. It desires to impart an ever-increasing vigor to the Christian life of the faithful, to adapt more suitably to the needs of our own times, these institutions which are subject to change, those institutions which are subject to change, uh, to foster whatever can promote union among all who believe in Christ, to strengthen whatever can help the, to call the whole of mankind into the household of the church. The council therefore sees particularly cogent reasons for undertaking the reform and promotion of the liturgy. And so we have there four clear reasons, not just for this document, but for the second Vatican council. And the, uh, they get fleshed out as you go through more of, uh, what becomes chapter one. Um, and I wanted to point out a few things. One is, uh, it's important that, um, the, the, a key phrase is adapt more suitably to the needs of our own times, those institutions, which are subject to change. That's going to be a key question that if we were, if I was implementing it, we would need to spend a lot of time because we've got 2000 years plus of church history saying what is consolation, <laughs> what's God's revealed truth and how we worship and how we act as church. And that's a whole lot of consolation. So what is it that is subject to change and what's divinely instituted as in not touchable by us? Um, that's one of my key questions. And, um, one of the things that changed with the Novus Ordo, the new mass is the priest turned around. Um, and prior to that, the priest in the traditional Latin mass or the Vitus Ordo, um, faces the same direction as the people most of the time. And it's a very different experience. And I think it's, it, it connotes uh, what is described here in number four, um, the sacred council declares that Holy Mother Church 
holds <clears throat> all. Oh, I'm, I've got my notes confused here. This is a different point. <laughs> uh, the sacred council declares that Holy Mother Church holds all lawfully acknowledged rights to be of equal right and dignity. She wishes to preserve them in the future and to foster them in every way. Is that happening now? <laughs> um, <clears throat> Traditiones Custodes would argue that no, it is not happening now. And when we get to paragraph eight, this is the ad orientum piece I was thinking about. The image described here is a beautiful description of the experience of ad orientum, which is an option in the Novus Ordo that the priest can face the same direction as the people. In the earthly liturgy, we take part in a foretaste of that heavenly liturgy, which is celebrated in the holy city of Jerusalem, toward which we journey as pilgrims, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, a minister of the holies and of the true tabernacle. <clears throat> and while that isn't explicitly describing ad orientum, it is describing a people moving together. And I don't know about you both, but my experience of the Novus Ordo is it's like a group of people stopped on the side of the road, all sitting around munching on uh, Gorp, getting ready to keep moving. All facing each other, chatting about the day and what's going on. Very different from the Vetus Ordo at Orientum, which feels like we're a pilgrim people and we're moving toward Christ and the communion of saints together. Um, well, yeah, Deacon Patrick, I, I think definitely, um, <clears throat> that, uh, that is, that, uh, describes the main, um, change in emphasis that happened at least in, in my parish growing up. Um, it was a lot more focused on, um, the, the, you know, quote unquote, the people next to you in the pew. And um, I don't, you know, whether or not, whether that was primarily as a result of um, doing away with the ad orientum posture or not, um, you know, the, uh, what I, what I remember most was just an emphasis on, I mean, uh, well, first of all, again, going back to the, you know, experimentation, um, uh, there, there were a lot of things, you know, it, um, that happened in my parish that I, I think, you know, in hindsight were, were done just, um, we're, we're not, we're not done in line with, um, the, the norms of the, of the day. So, they weren't, they weren't do the red, say the black. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I, in, in, uh, further along in the document, um, it says under, uh, so it's section three under 
uh, a general norms, what caught my attention where is in point number three, where it says, therefore, no other person, not even a priest, may add, remove, or change anything in the liturgy on his own authority. Um, so, you know, even, I, I mean, what, what jumps out at me about that is even if it seems to be something uh, well-intentioned, still and all, you know, the, the priest who's saying the mass shouldn't, shouldn't be, um, shouldn't be innovating. And, um, uh, you know, I, 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 as I mentioned earlier, i I vividly remember, you know, going to mass on Sunday, kind of wondering what the new thing was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, 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 you know, in some cases it was, um, liturgical dancing with the, um, the bread and wine down the aisle. I mean, in other cases, it was just the fact that there was, um, you know, a guy playing electrical guitar right there on the altar. You know, I mean, the, the point, the point is that, um, it, it was more than anything. What I recall is a change in mentality where instead of saying, um, instead of focusing on, um, the unity that is mentioned so often in this document, in other words, that um, the fathers of the Second Vatican Council wanted the church to be united and disciplined in the way that liturgy was was um, performed, that that it that almost like it was uh, it was a way to draw attention to oneself and um, kind of be cool by doing things differently. And so, um, I, I think that, uh, you know, what, what, when I read these things, um, I, you know, I realize that, um, in a lot of cases, it just seems to be a real kind of lack of humility and obedience. Um, when, again, you know, one can argue, uh, about, what some of these norms mean, but to just kind of discard it out of hand and, um, say, you know, say that, well, our, you know, our parish, I mean, that was, you know, what I remember all those years ago was that, you know, it was a very much po focus on our parish, what we're doing, you know, we're so much better than we're so much more vibrant than the other churches, you know, and it's like, you look back and you're like, wow, that's, that actually is not a very Christ-like attitude, you know? Um, those, those stinky sacred herders. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, it was what just supposed to be doing. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think that, um, I, I mean, what I, in, in just reading through some of this document, um, you know, what, what I come away with is that, Again, this was never m meant to cause disunity in the church. Um, it and it also um, wasn't meant to, uh, and certainly wasn't meant to um, cause irreverence, or lead to irreverence. But unfortunately, um, in some cases, that seemed to be the end result. I think again, like as you said, Deacon Patrick, mostly because people. Re read into it what they wanted to read instead of what was actually there. Well, and uh, Deacon Patrick, ahead. going back to your point on 
how do you how do you wisely or with Ignatian discernment discern which parts are immutable and which parts are changeable? I think um, paragraph twenty one in the Reform of the Sacred Liturgy um, speaks to that a little bit. It says, in order that the Christian people may more certainly derive an abundance of graces from the sacred liturgy, Holy Mother Church desires to undertake with great care a general restoration of the liturgy itself. For the liturgy is made of immutable elements divinely instituted and of elements subject to change. These not only may, but ought to be changed with the passage of time if they have suffered from the intrusion of anything out of harmony with the inner nature of the liturgy or have become unsuited to it. So to me, that last section gives some guidance, at least, from the fathers of the council. Uh, the things should be changed, I read it, only if they have suffered from the intrusion of things out of harmony with the inner nature of the liturgy. So Yeah, there's two, there's two gates you have to pass before you would even consider a change. It has to not have been immutably, it has to not be an element immutably divinely instituted. Well, which ones are those? Do we know? Did we stop to ask? Did we discern this? Is there a list? I've never seen one. <laughs> um, well, I think, I mean, um, just one thing that pops to mind in, in reading that is, um, I mean, I think, I think it's fairly well established that, um, only men are going to be priests or in all likelihood deacons too. So, um, you know, some of the, again, going back to um, what I experienced growing up is there were, there were a lot of subtle ways that, that came about of implying that um, women priests were only a matter of time, you know? And uh, so some, some of it involved, um, you know, kind of dressing women in kind of semi-liturgical garb and have them like leading different prayer services and things like that. I mean, um, I think uh, at least in my experience, that was one of the, you know, had, had it been, let's just say, had it been more, yeah, clearly in mind that no, it's, it's not, that that is not going to be a role that women have in the church. It probably would have avoided some of the, you know, abuses that happened. Exactly. And, and then you get to the question of, okay, what about, uh, for 2000 years, the church every year has used these readings and it's one cycle. One year we get these readings. Um, <clears throat> and that was, uh, the case with the liturgy of the hours that, priests, deacons, and religious pray. Uh, and that was true of the liturgical readings at mass. Um, and then not only did they expand it. So you only get readings once every three years at mass. Uh, but they, uh, in the liturgy of the hours made it. So it's a four weeks altar instead of getting all 150 Psalms every week you now only get it every four weeks. Um, and you don't even get the full Psalter anymore because they removed the psychologically difficult passages where God punishes evil and there's consequences to those who willfully choose evil. 
and those are called psychologically difficult. Um, one might say that people who are suffer from gender dysphoria are facing psychological difficulty. Does that mean we should delete the fact that there are two genders? No. <laughs> we need to name that on the last day, God's going to judge us and there will be mercy for those who are his elect and there will be eternal hellfire for those who are not his elect. Um, that's biblical. And if we're not living that now in our liturgies, how can we be manful in how we shepherd our church, our flock, each other, our families, uh, if we don't have that in mind in everything that we're doing? Can I point out just something else that leaped out at me um, when we're talking about what should be retained and what should be um, revised or, or changed? In paragraph 36, it begins with particular law remaining in force. The use of the Latin language is to be preserved in the Latin rites. Huh? It, it gives all the... all the That was a Latin, huh, that, by the way. Um, but then in paragraph 54, when it's talking about changing different parts into the mother tongues from Latin, it, it ends up with, nevertheless, steps should be taken so that the faithful may also be able to say or to sing together in Latin those parts of the ordinary of the Mass which pertain to them. So funny story, I had the blessing of uh, assisting at my son's uh, wedding recently in Lincoln, Nebraska. And uh, at the end of the Mass, uh, back as we were investing in the sacristy, I turned to the parish priest and I said, only one thing caught me by surprise because I've never sung the Gloria in Latin before. And he looked at me and goes, neither have I. <laughs> he said, I, I think that's your daughter-in-law's influence. So well, and so the conclusion that I came to was, okay, in this thought experiment where <laughs> something that would never happen, I'm put in charge, um, what would be, what would, what would my first step be to implementing this? It would be saying, okay, we need to take five or 10 years globally to sit with this question of what's divinely instituted and what isn't and what's the difference? How do we know? We need to sit with this so that we're giving due deference to 2000 years of what has gone before us instead of throwing it all out and woohoo. Suddenly we look an awful lot like Protestants. <laughs> um, and the, the the goal uh, of Vatican II was described as we need to throw open the windows because the church is getting stuffy. Um, the council presumably uh, agreed with that and it came up with these documents. And because of the Holy Spirit protects the church, those documents are consolation. They're protected by the Holy Spirit from error. But there really isn't anything new in them. There's some new expressions of timeless truths, and there's some let's crack open some doors differently than we ever have before. Um, and there's like, 
wasn't planning on going here, but there's the, the quote from uh, somebody about the smoke of Satan seeking in through the, through the open windows. Yeah. I, I, I believe that was, that was uh, one of the popes said that, didn't they? I, I think I, so. I don't remember which one I have to say, but. Uh, For some reason, but, I think it's from Paul the six, but I'm not, I couldn't swear to that. So one of the tools of discernment is, okay, situational discernment. We've been living the spirit of Vatican II. I'm not entirely sure. I'm quite convinced we may not have been uh, living Vatican II, but we've been living the spirit of Vatican II uh, since 1963 uh, and after. How, what's the fruit? Jesus uh, in uh, Matthew 7, 15, and I think 16 uh, said to his disciples, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. And that's very much like the enemy slipping in right at the end of consolation, sheep's clothing. But inwardly are ravenous wolves. By their fruits, you will know them. And so what fruit are we experiencing as a church? Those four things at the introduction that uh, Deacon Doug read, are we better off or worse off now than we were before the spirit of Vatican II got implemented? I don't know that we know what Vatican II looks like implemented because I don't know that we did it. Well, it is interesting, Deacon Patrick, that um, in reading through some of the notes that are in my edition of this, um, the the Vatican II documents. So again, they're not going to be in every edition, but um, just for example, specifically on the question of um, the use of Latin in the mass. Um, I, I mean, basically what they said was that, that uh, the, the, the widespread, um, switch to the vernacular was just due, due to, um, you know, bishops, bishops from around the world, apparently, you know, applying and getting, um, permission to do that. So, and it seemed like that was, um, that was the case in a, a number of changes. Another one, frankly, was very controversial was the altar girl thing. Um, no, it's not like, um, the Pope, you know, woke up one day and thought it would be a great idea to have altar girls, but um, it started in one place and then it kind of, um, in a sense, it seemed like uh, in a certain certain way, um, uh, the Vatican was kind of pressured into allowing it because one diocese adopted and then another, that kind of thing, you know. And um, so... Uh, Right. It, it, I think it's helpful even just to look at historically what, what things did the council fathers actually intend? And then what were the other things that just kind of, um, uh, happened almost maybe even from the ground up, uh, because, because of, um, maybe kind of a misguided sense of, what would be good for the church, you know? Um, and, and I think even that can be kind of enlightening. 
it's it definitely takes a lot of reading and study, but um, it is interesting to go back and look at historically just how some of these things came about. Well, and I found one of the beautiful ways to help that has helped me understand, wait a second, the church did all, has throughout its history done everything Vatican II says we didn't do. <laughs> and the way that I've seen that is, uh, I've mentioned before the, the Catena Aurea by St. Thomas uh, Aquinas, compiling quotes from saints as a biblical commentary of the Gospels. And in that, you see the, the very clear and beautiful teaching of Christ's full revelation through the saints. Um, and how do we breathe new life into the church? Well, we need to go backwards and allow the Holy Spirit to reinform us of what we already know. Uh, that's one of the first things of discernment also is stop and intellectually remind yourself to know what we know. And there's a lot we know because Christ's full revelation is all of truth given to the church. So we've got a fairly big body of uh, truth to uh, draw upon. <laughs> Well, unfortunately, we're actually over time uh, in our discussion today. So uh, we're going to. <laughs> <laughs> it's sudden eternal death over time. Oh, no. <laughs> and you, no, you don't get time and a half, Doug. But, <laughs> but, uh, but just a reminder that um, you can find this episode and all the past episodes of the Catholic Halos podcast on. Uh, various platforms, including Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and um, and other uh, podcast platforms. So uh, feel free to uh, check us out there. Um, Deacon Doug, would you mind leading us in a closing prayer? Certainly. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, benedictus fructus ventris tui Jesus. Sancta Maria Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc in anora mortis nostre. Amen. Thanks, everyone, for joining us on this episode of the Catholic Halos Podcast.